Well, the sermon text for this morning comes from 2 Samuel chapters 19 and 20. So we'll start 2 Samuel 19. We'll start at verse 40 and finish up the chapter and then read all of chapter 20, verses 1 through 26. So either just listen or read along to this portion of God's Word. This is 2 Samuel 19, 40 uh, through 2026. 20, now the king went on to Gilgal, and Achimham went with him. All the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why had our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over the Jordan? Then all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative to us. Why then are you angry about this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense, or has anything been taken from us? Or for us, rather. But the men of Israel answered the, the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king. Therefore we also have more claim on David than you. Why then did you treat us with contempt? Was it not our king? Then the words of the men of Israel. Now a worthless fellow happened to be there whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from following David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah remained steadfast to their king, from the Jordan even to Jerusalem. Then David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took ten women, the concubines, who had left to keep the house, and provided them with us, but did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as well. Then the king said to Elisha, Call out the men of Judah for me within three days, and be present here yourself. So Elisha went to call out the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which he had, which had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, so that he does not find for himself fortified cities and escape from our sight. So Joab's men went out after him. Elephites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men. And they went out from Jerusalem to Sheba, the son of when they were at the large stone which is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now Joab dressed in his military attire, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath fastened 
at his waist. And as he went forward, it fell out. Joab said to Amasa, it is, well, is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa was not on guard against the sword which was in Joab's hand. So he struck him in the belly with it and poured out his inward parts on the ground and did not strike him again. And he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now there stood by him one of Joab's young men and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. But Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the, the, man, the man saw that, uh, that all the people stood still, he removed Amasa from the highway into the field and threw a garment over him uh, when he saw that everyone who came by him stood still. As soon as he was removed from the highway, all the men passed on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, even to Beth Makkah, and all the and all the Berites. And there were gathered and also went Haman besieged him and set up a siege ramp against the city. And it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab were wreaking destruction in order to topple the wall. Then a wise woman called from the city, Here, here, please tell Joab, come here that I may speak with you. So he approached her. And the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. Then she said to him, Listen to the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening. Then she spoke, saying, Formerly they used to say, They will surely ask advice in Abel. And thus they ended the dispute. I am of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You are seeking to destroy a city, even a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Joab replied, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. Such is not the case. But a man from the hill country of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, has lifted up his hand against King David. Only hand him over, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman wisely came to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba the son of Bichri and threw it to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they were dispersed from the city, each to his tent. Joab also returned to the king of Jerusalem. Joab was over the whole army of Israel, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiakim was over the Cherethites and Palathites. And Adoram was over the forced labor, and Jehoshaphat the son of Ahilud was the recorder. 
and Shiva was scribe, and Zadok and Abiathar were priests, and Ira the Jarite was also a priest to David. As we've uh, been working through Second uh, Samuel for, for quite some time now, uh, there's, there has been a constant uh, barrage lately of, of troubles in Israel, of, of difficulties, of challenges. And maybe if, uh, if this were fiction, we would be and they all lived that things would get better, that things would improve, that would cause. Uh, but unfortunately, that, that is not the case, and, and uh, that will not be the case for sure in the events that are described here. There will continue to be difficult times uh, that are chaotic and confusion, confusing with all sorts of challenges, and they're made worse by poor decisions uh, made by, by, uh, by people in, in the account, and certainly by David's past sins that continue uh, to have effect in the present time. And so we are reminded of these same sorts of things in our own life, of uh, continuing difficulties, uh, and uh, things that have not happened yet that will cause challenges uh, to us. And yet we're reminded in all of that, the Lord's plan, even in the midst of difficulties, and for our response to be one of, of seeking to be godly in the way in which we respond uh, to what comes before us. And we'll see uh, David is not always acting in a wise way as these things come up in his life. So we're reminded of our own need to use wisdom uh, that comes from the, the scriptures in our response to events. Also, of the superior kingship of David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, unlike David, rules and reigns in a way that is perfect and without error. And we'll see all that as we work our way through. First, we come to she uh, Sheba's rebellion in 1940 through 22. Now, last week we looked at verses 8 through 39 of chapter 19, and there we saw what happened. Absalom was killed. And his rebellion ended. But as many people had, had supported Absalom. Now, rather than seek vengeance or hold grudges against those who had opposed his rule, David reached out for renewed support. He made Absalom's military commander Amasa his new military commander, replacing Joab, who was demoted. He also reached out to Judah and, and asked for their support as they were his home tribe. David forgave Shimei for, for cursing and mocking him. He forgave Ziba for lying to him. And he partially restored the land he had wrongly taken from the Mephibosheth. And David also rewarded Barzillai for his generous help to him in his time of need. And in all of that, we saw that David showed a spirit of kindness and reconciliation. In today's passage, David encounters several difficulties as he seeks to bring the country back together. There are divisive words spoken between the northern tribes of Judah, or northern tribes of Israel, rather, and David's home tribe of Judah in the south. And this distrust and lack of unity 
was a troubling thing. And we'll also see Joab's murder of his replacement, Amasa, with no repercussions from David. And we'll also see a wise and godly woman of Israel act boldly to preserve life and to do the right thing, even as David neglects his responsibilities. And so in all this, we'll see how it applies to our lives and the church and how it points us to the superior kingship of Jesus Christ. And we begin with verses 1940 through 22. We, we pick up events right after uh, the events of last time. Uh, David is returning after he fled east of the Jordan River to escape Absalom rebellion. He's coming to be received by his people. And he's accompanied by Chimham, a his son, who will be rewarded with the king's patronage. Notice in verse 40 that, that while all the people of Judah arrived to accompany David, only half the people of Israel, uh, that is the, the, the other tribes to the north, accompanied him. Now David's appeal to Judah and their full support of him leads some in Israel who are already unsure about supporting David to suspect a conspiracy that, that Judah is somehow trying to steal the king and receive special treatment and favoritism. So in verses 41 through 43, there is a back and forth argument between the two parties, which is like a popular opinion. And we should note that the northern tribes of Israel revolt. We were told that in, in verse 8 of chapter 19. But now that a few, of, a few have come out for David's return parade, they accuse Judah of making them look bad. And it really sounds like a, a squabble between, between uh, uh, two kids in a, in a playground. The way they go back and forth here. In verse 42, Judah responds that their support is, is greater because the king is a close relative of us. They don't understand why Israel is angry over this. But their response plays into the idea that there's nepotism going on here. So it's really an unwise reply. They do state that there's no conspiracy or stealing of David, but they go the extra mile in boasting that he's one of their own. Not a, not a very wise thing. And they add, have we eaten it all at the king's expense, or has anything been taken for us? Uh, they have... In other words, not received any special treatment or, or perks by being his home tribe. And certainly nothing has been denied Israel in favor of Judah, they, they state here. Israel's response in verse 43 is to note their superior numbers as a group of tribes. We have ten parts in the king, therefore we also have more claim on David to you. It's... it's uh, it's so juvenile at this point. There's ten of us, there's, there's uh, two of you, and so clearly uh, we're more important. And then they get to the heart of their offense. Why then did you treat us with contempt? We have advice to bring back, first bring back our king? So we him first is now the land. And so sadly they're, they're all fighting over perceived favoritism and pride and, and appearance. And jealousy. Israel wants credit for bringing back the king first, 
And Judah wants credit for the same thing, and they want extra glory for being his home tribe. Our author says in, in verse 43, Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. So we get a flavor for the conversation and the debate here, uh, but clearly our, our author here adds that the tone and the words that were used in, in the uh, nuts and bolts of this debate were much, much harsher from the people of Judah. What a sad thing is people of dispute over things that clearly should not be issues at all. And here the, uh, the harsh words bring about harsh or hurt feelings and a strained fellowship. We should always be thankful for the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. We must always be diligent and eager to preserve that with a godly unity and not take that for granted. And certainly we all still sin. And so there will be offenses and disagreements in our relationships in Christ. But we are reminded in Scripture to be forgiving and to be humble and to be desiring to work things out in the Lord and by His grace rather than inflame and make things worse. We're reminded in Colossians 3, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear each other and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint about you, so also should you. And so we are to be actively seeking peace and, and to address issues in genuine love and humility and to keep from harsh words or undeserved accusations. Now we, we have love and peace in our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so we are to actively work that out in our relationships in His kingdom. Sadly, we see in verses 1 and 2 that the harsh words and, and suspicion of motives gives opportunity for a divisive man to make things worse. In, verses, uh, in chapter 20, verse 1, we're told of this man, and we're explicitly told of his poor character, even as we begin here. The writer is a worthless fellow who appears uh, He has strong opinions and passions over this, and he decides to He is of the tribe of Benjamin, he is a, which is the tribe of the former king Saul. And he no doubt... Uh, has a grudge against David for replacing Saul. And so here is his opportunity to incite another rebellion. And so he blows a trumpet to get everyone's attention and says, We have no portion in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. And, he, and so he calls on the ten tribes of Israel to refuse to escort David to Gilgal, Instead, calling them all to go home and to reject David as king. And so in verse 2, they do this. Following David, and instead, a group follows Sheba. But we see that the, the people of Judah still support David and escort him to Jerusalem. Sadly, we are once again here reminded of the the danger of divisions in the church. Sometimes, of course, division is necessary over weighty matters of, of doctrine and practice, 
after attempts to unify on the truth fail. But most divisions that occur are over lesser matters and an unwillingness to be humble and to work things out. Our friend Gordon Ketty writes, More fellowship between Christians is broken by pride-related personal animosity than by genuine doctrinal disagreements. And we do not saturate our relationships with the love of Christ. Our gifts do break out into sort that we are to live with genuine love and humility and forgiveness as we are a family in Christ who are committed to one another as well as to Him. And may we ask the Lord to help us to refuse sinful attitudes of, of superiority or jealousy or divisiveness, but rather to seek to live out to, by God's grace and power the words Peter gives in 1 Peter 1. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Well, second, Joab murders Amasa in verses 3 through 13. Now, while Joab's murder of Amasa is the primary focus of the, these verses, we begin in verse 3 uh, with a separate paragraph that tells us of the sad and lasting consequences of David's past sins on those around him. We're told here of ten of David's concubines or secondary wives. Now they stayed behind, you may recall, to care for the home when David, his family, and his supporters escaped Jerusalem during Absalom's taking uh, of the city. In 2 Samuel 16, we learned that Absalom had sexual relations with them to show that he had taken power and was superior over his father. This was a sad consequence of David's adultery with Bathsheba years earlier, as the Lord had said in 2 Samuel 12, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Now it was unclear if these women resisted Absalom's sexual advances, or, or were they helpless to fight back, and it seems that they likely had no choice. While David here has them protected and cared for, we're told that he no longer has sexual relations with them. They are confined to the palace until the day of their death, living as widows, even though David, of course, is still alive. Now by this time, David has long been forgiven by the Lord of his sins. But there will be continuing reminders and consequences of his past sin, impact on others as well as himself. And these women are in a sad situation. They are really in no man's land. They have been used by Absalom and now disqualified in that culture to a return to David's harem. It is a heartbreaking situation for these women who are left alone. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis writes, Scores of Christ's people know what, it is, what, know what it is to have their lives turned to gray because of the sins of others. There is no help for it except in the one sent to bind up the broken heart. There is a reminder here 
that our sins do not merely offend God and, and impact our relationship with Him, but there can be all kinds of unexpected and devastating effects of our sins on others, especially of those close to us. A sinful indulgence in, in self is selfish and harmful, uh, certainly in, in David and his adultery uh, years earlier. But here is, is an unforeseen consequence that happens much later. And so it damages the lives of others. There's a reminder here to keep from sin for a number of reasons. Uh, in, in honoring the Lord in, in, in our own spiritual well-being, but also for the impact that our sins can have on those around us, even in unforeseen ways. And sadly, these women know the pain of long-term suffering for the sins of others. Now, hopefully, these women know the Lord and, and turn to Him for comfort in this life and for, for His full healing in the Lord in their eternal lives. And we're reminded in such difficulties and suffering that there is healing and hope and that we can come to the Lord in, in such suffering. For our Savior is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and one who carried our sorrows, as we're reminded in Isaiah 53. And so uh, we, we can only uh, turn to the Lord in such times and know that, that there is healing and that there is comfort to be found in Him. In verses 4 through 13, we then learn of David's response to this new rebellion and see how Joab murders Amasa. Yet once again in all of this, we will see how David's past sins and failures have ongoing impact on others. Now David is a wise military man. And so in verse 4 he tells us, his, uh, he, he appoints the new military co commander uh, to be Amasa. And he, he commands him to quickly assemble the army of the men of Judah to do this in three days. They need to act quickly. But in verse 5, we're told that Amasa delayed and failed to accomplish this task in three days, either by lack of motivation or lack of competence. It's not clear here. So in verse 6, David tells his second rank commander at this point, Abishai, to pursue Sheba and act quickly, as Sheba's rebellion will be more harmful than Absalom's if it is not defeated quickly. So David commands Abishai to pursue Sheba before he finds a fortified city and is able to escape or find more support. A Joab, who is Abishai's brother and has been demoted by David, is with his brother's troops who now pursue Sheba. Our verse 8 says that Amasa catches up to them after a while at the large stone which is in Gibeon. Now he's likely expecting to assume command over Abishai and Joab now that he's shown up. But when Amasa comes to meet them, Joab murders him in much the same way he murdered Abner years earlier. He approaches him in the appearance of friendship. He then tricks him by dropping a sword so that he might have it in his hand unsuspectingly. He approaches Amasa to kiss him on the cheek in greeting. But instead he grabs him by the beard with one hand and disembowels him in one swipe 
the other. Joab and Abishai then pursue Sheba, with Joab once again assuming command. Verses 11 through 13 add that Joab leaves a soldier by Amasa's dead body, announcing, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. And so he is not being shy about saying that he is now in command. He has murdered his rival. But notice as well that he remains loyal to David, he, in a certain sense, even if he does this by his own rules and his own ruthlessness. We're then given the details that the dead, disemboweled Amasa, lying in his pool, the pool of his own blood, is a distraction to the, to the passing soldiers, as you can imagine it would be. And uh, the progression of soldiers isn't happening because they're all stopping to look at the, the dead body of their general. And so eventually they have to drag him off into a field and cover him with a garment so that the, the soldiers can be on their way. Joab is a continuing problem. He is very good at his job as a military commander. He is a skilled warrior and a leader of men. He is also loyal to his uncle, King David, and to Israel. But he is a, a violent man, a wicked man who does what he thinks is best, even if that means defying Scripture, defying the king, or committing murder twice. He murdered Abner, if you recall, after he had just negotiated an end to, to Israel's civil war back in chapter 3. He brought Absalom back from exile in Geshur after Absalom had murdered Amnon. And he manipulated David to accomplish that return by sending the woman of Tekoa. He killed Absalom to end his rebellion, which was a wise move, but it was against David's orders. And here he out and out murders Amasa, his superior. And yet, for all of that, he has not been brought to justice by King David. The worst he's received is a demotion in rank, which is now uh, undone. It will fall actually to his son, his son successor, King Solomon, to eventually execute Joab for his cause. If he dies, he charges Solomon. Solomon with several things in 1 Kings 2. And this is one of them. He says there, Now you also know what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner the son of Ner and to Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed. He also shed the blood of war in peace. So act accordingly to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. And so, Joab was eventually killed under Solomon's command, but not by David. There is a reminder here, certainly, to condemn violent men who are a law to themselves as to what is right and wrong. Uh, the end does not justify the means. 
And such thinking and acting leads to all kinds of sin and tragedy. But there's also a sad abandonment of justice and responsibility by David in allowing this to continue to happen. Joab is a nephew, and he is a skilled warrior, and he is a leader. But one's affection or connection or appreciation of someone, or a desire to avoid necessary confrontation, is, are not valid reasons to fail to address sin, especially for one in authority like David. There's a reminder here to elders and pastors not to avoid addressing the sins and problems of anyone in the church, uh, be they relatives or difficult people or, or seemingly people. This must not try to avoid hearing and receiving biblical correction by family ties or manipulation or attempts at intimidation. In 1 Peter 5, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Their elders are told to do their jobs, to shepherd the flock of, of God among you, and exercise oversight. And so there is to be no abandonment of responsibility. And Hebrews 13 and 17 addresses God's people and says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, David's failure to lead well in this area proved very costly in lives lost and in integrity. And it let Joab continue to sin and continue in unbelief unchallenged. May we not fail to do so toward those under our responsibility in our various positions in life. And may we lovingly challenge those who deny the Lord by their sinful lives, no matter how <clears throat> otherwise loyal and useful they may be. Well, third and finally, Sheba is killed in verses 14 through 26. Uh, the chapter closes with Joab's pursuit of Sheba and his rebels and Sheba's death. Verse 14 tells us that Sheba and his supporters are on the run rather than on the attack. Now, the support that he had at first clearly is, is fading away. He ends up in Abel, even in Beth Makkah, which is very far north in Israel. And so he's run, in other words, through the course of all of Israel, but his group has gotten smaller instead of larger. We also learn that the, the only supporters with him are the Beerites, which are his own clan within the tribe of Benjamin. Joab's forces surround him and lay siege against the city. A ramp is set up to cross over trenches surrounding the city and, and bring down the walls, and they're starting to do that. And so it may take time, but Sheba and his men are surrounded, and the city will fall eventually. They are trapped. Then in verses 16 through 21, Joab has a conversation with a woman from the city as she calls to him. Verse 16 describes her as a wise woman, and she asks for an audience with Commander Joab. 
In verse 17, Joab grants her this meeting and they politely greet her. And in 18 and 19, she notes the historic significance of the city of Abel, that it has a reputation of being a place of wisdom and of peacemaking, and where others go to find peace as they mediate. They are a people who are peaceable and faithful, she says. She says also that it is a mother in Israel. In other words, it is a, a long-standing city that is well-respected and has a place of respect in the nation. She's saying this because she does not, and apparently no one else does, know why they are being attacked. They've done nothing wrong. And then she adds, why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? In other words, why would you tear down this peaceable city? I don't understand what you're doing. We don't understand what you're doing. They have a right to exist, and, and they do not comprehend this unprovoked siege. Joab replies in verses 20 and 21 that he doesn't want to swallow up or destroy, but far be it from me to do that, he says, uh, which is not completely true, uh, because they've already started. He's already begun a siege. They already uh, have a ramp, and they have every intent of the city to get this man. This wise woman, however, not only seeks to spare lives and spare her city, she also calls on Joab to obey God's law. Now, she doesn't say it directly here, but her appeal is one that is taken from the scriptures. Deuteronomy 20 and 10 says that a city under siege is to be given an opportunity to come to terms before being invaded or destroyed in battle. The verse reads, when you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. Joab, of course, has not done this. <clears throat> He's already surrounded it, uh, built the ramp, and started to assault the city walls. And he didn't even bother to explain why he was doing this to the people in the city. Uh, like the aggressive man that he has always been, he charges ahead with what he deems best, no matter what restrictions might apply from the scriptures or anywhere else. Yet he does, uh, to his credit, respond well to the woman and explains a man named Sheba is now in the city. If they hand him over, Joab and his men will leave. And so in verse 22, the woman explains that the situation to the people of the city and they respond appropriately. They promptly cut off Sheba's head and they throw it over the wall. And so Joab then blows the trumpet. He signals to his men to end the siege. And they all disperse to their homes. Now this woman is indeed wise and brave. And she takes appropriate action to save her life, her family's lives, and countless other lives. And so she helps the justice. And she does all this by seeking to have Joab follow God's law. And so uh, she is to be commended for her wise and biblical actions and the way the Lord blessed that to preserve lives in the city itself. Finally, the chapter closes with a list of those serving in David's administration in various jobs in 23 through 26. 
Uh, notice that Joab is once again the commander of David's armed forces, and David's government is reestablished after the rebellions have been ended. But even though probably some of these men are faithful and sound and honoring the Lord and how they carry out their responsibilities, we have found in our chapter division in the kingdom and inconsistency and certainly his lack of, of uh, consequences brought upon Joab. All of us superior rule David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our need to faithfully and humbly submit to his rule in our lives and in the church. It is Jesus alone who redeems us from our sins and our failings, and he calls on us to submit to his kingship, and he enables us to faithfully serve and love him according to his word, and to do so in unity and in truth in the kingdom of God. David's failures also should remind us of our own failures and the forgiveness that is found only in his greater son, Jesus Christ. We are indeed all sinners like David, and we deserve condemnation. And yet in his mercy we are offered with God through what Jesus has done for us. We are told in Scripture that Jesus is God the Son who became also fully man to be our salvation. He lived a perfectly which we failed to do. And on the cross, he took the wrath of God due to us for our sins upon himself. On the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead, a living Savior and an accepted sacrifice. And all those who trust in him are forgiven by his sacrifice, are covered in his righteousness, are justified before God, and are given eternal life and fellowship with the triune God. And that is all by God's free gift and grace alone. It cannot be earned, and it is never deserved. Romans 3 reminds us, By the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now God has made no righteousness for all those who believe, for all have sinned and fallen through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. Faith. Jesus now rules and reigns as the perfect and eternal king on David's throne and at the Father's right hand. And unlike David, we can fully trust in all of his judgments and in his care and in his leadership. Isaiah 9 and 7 says of him, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And in his kingdom we are enabled by God the Holy Spirit who indwells us to grow in godliness and to find unity in the Lord and to find unity in following his word. And in Unlike the rebellions of Absalom and Sheba, we serve the king and are to do so faithfully, to do so in unity by His grace, which is at work in us. And we are to submit to Him and His kingship and draw close to Him. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to His disciples, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. 
For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And sadly, David uh, often ruled uh, by, by, uh, by his own inclinations. He did not, he did not surrender his will to the Lord in how he, how he conducted himself. At least not consistently. So that uh, we, uh, saved like David, are to learn from that, that uh, inconsistent example and seek to uh, be more obedient by God's grace and more consistent in following uh, His King and ours, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to, uh, to follow His commands and to follow His Word. And we're reminded to seek peace inside the kingdom of God. We're reminded in Ephesians 4, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience sowing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now let's pray together. God, we do thank you and praise you for this portion of your word and ask that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, we, we thank you for, uh, for your many blessings to us and for the of David. Uh, we thank you for his love for you, uh, but we're also disappointed at many points in, in his reaction and to failure to respond rightly to your word and, and to the responsibilities laid before him. And so we, may, we, uh, may we be trusting in his greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his perfect kingship. May we be reminded of our own failures at times and seek forgiveness for them. And may we, may we seek to accomplish a peace in the church by loving one another and by uh, humbly seeking to work out issues with one another in the so, Interacting as uh, juveniles in their squabbles with one another. So, from that poor example, we to seek peace and pursue it within the kingdom of God. And we do thank you and praise you for all of your blessings to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.